This study is a look at the parables of Jesus. And so the lesson two is titled Blooming Where You're Planted. It's taken from Matthew 13, 24 and 30, and 36 through 43. And we're looking largely at the parable of, you know, the wheat and the tares. So last week we looked at the parable of the sower, the different soils, and um, we're going to continue this week with lesson two. So we know a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus used the parables to speak to, in that time, you know, um, largely uneducated crowd, uh, largely uneducated people. And so he wanted to deliver these truths, but he didn't want it to be, you know, over their heads. So he he used the parables in as a method of teaching where everybody could understand it. And so uh, that's, that's the whole reason for it. And so we're going to continue. You know, today, um, you ever think about, I know, I know I'm guilty of this. When I read this, I thought, man, that's me. That was me a couple years ago for sure. And even it's still kind of a fantasy, but I realize now as we grow, we realize like it's not going to work for several reasons. But um, being part of a Christian community, being part of, um, you know, surrounded everywhere by Christians, uh, and there are places like that. We, uh, we saw Rich Starry and I were looking one time, we were doing some prepping together and, you know, the, the world uh, being uncertain, the future being uncertain, certainly now, of course, um, not that this political climate is anything, you know, has brought us anything new. Uh, it's always been uncertain to a certain degree. But, you know, we were looking at this community. It was out in Missouri. And not seriously, but just kind of thinking like, wow, how awesome that would that be? And they had like, I don't know, it was like 200 acres and little cabins. And you could buy in. You could buy a cabin. And um, you had to do so many hours uh, as, you know, community service, like in the garden or in a mechanical position or a trade or pretty much anything. You know, there was school, they had their own school. So there were teachers, there were school jobs. There was, uh, you could mow the lawns, you could be a tree trimmer, cutter person. You could, whatever your strength was, you could sign up and you could do hours, um, so many hours a month to fulfill your like membership obligation, I guess. And so if people of all different economic statuses were welcome, if you didn't have a lot of money, you could buy these little, they were, if I remember correctly, 60 by 100 lots, and you could buy them for just a few thousand dollars and you could build your own cabin or people would bring in those sheds on the trucks and they'd convert them sometimes. Or if you had a lot of money, you could buy one with a beautiful cabin. You could design it. They had different models to choose from. They'd build it for you. Of course, the buy-in was a lot more for those. And um, some people bought four lots together, whatever it was. But they had their own giant community garden, and all the kids went to the same school. And it was all Christians. It was all believers. And so it was non-denominational, but you had to have a profession of faith. You had to have a doctrinal statement, doctrinal beliefs. 
And um, based on that, they would either accept you or they wouldn't. And I thought, and Rich and I talked about it, and of course, we weren't seriously looking at it. We were just, you know, killing time and looking through it and saying, wow, man, that's awesome. And how great would it be, right? And for those of us that work in the secular world, we know, you know, when you go in in the morning, you're surrounded by unsaved people and they have their own manner of speech. They have their own their own stories that they tell, their own jokes that they tell. And as a Christian, sometimes that's uncomfortable. It's always uncomfortable. But in the beginning, you're used to that. Like, you know, I was saved when I was 49 years, 48 years old. So um, coming out of that, it was like I wasn't shocked by it. There was nothing new, new to it. But you start to realize as the Holy Spirit starts to work on you that that isn't what you want. That isn't what you want to hear. That isn't what you want to partake in. And so you kind of separate yourself from that. And um, there's a prudence to that. But, but that influence, that it could be discouraging, right? When you're, especially when you're a new Christian and you're struggling to do the right thing and you're struggling to live right and to live for Christ and to go in and have these things, they can really, I'm, for me, speak for myself, because many Christians are stronger in the faith than I am, and certainly at that point were. And um, they can, they can kind of not allow it to make them stumble. But for me, it was difficult. It was very difficult. And, um, and, and it's still difficult, right? We still, we still um, we live in the world, and we, you know, everywhere we go, whether it's work or, you know, just go to Walmart. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take much. And so we see that the lost are, around, are with us everywhere. And we're going to look today at the parable of the wheat and the tares. And I think we're going to kind of, you know, dispel that whole thing because we, we desire, I desire to live separate from the world. And we looked at these communities and we thought like, wow, how great would that be just to wake up every day and in our daily lives only be surrounded by Christians, only be surrounded by people that love us and want to only encourage us and people that don't want to cut us down and they don't want to, you know, do all those things that we, we see and witness when we deal with unsaved people. And so... Um, that was that was very attractive, very attractive to me, and I think to a lot of people. So I'm just going to delve into this, but I want to first go to the, the Lord in prayer. Dear God, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time, Lord, this time together with these people, Lord, your people, and I thank you so much for each and every one here that made it important to be here this morning, Lord, and that desire to know you deeper and to grow in knowledge and in love with you, Father, and to, to learn and to honor and glorify you in how we live. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for the opportunity to meet with them and for us together to look into your word and to try to grow with you, Father. We thank you so much for it. I pray that the Holy Spirit will work inside our hearts, work inside my heart, work inside everyone's hearts in this room today, that we would take away the meanings here in these lessons and that we would apply them to our lives and and in that, we would, we would find growth, Lord. We just thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so the parable in the wheat and the tares, right? Um, okay, so the Jews, they misunderstood the kingdom of God. They thought 
that the Messiah was going to set up his kingdom on earth, right? And they thought, like, I think to a certain degree that probably it was like, yeah, it's about time, right? We're going to have that, like, that Christian community. Everyone's going to come to know Christ, and it's going to be great, and we're all going to encourage each other, and the world's going to be a wonderful place. Of course, we know that's not that wasn't the plan, right? But um, the parable of the tares, which is translated to the weeds and the wheat. So Jesus reveals the kingdom of God. It's not a geographical area. It's a spiritual kingdom in which God rules. So the kingdom of God isn't it isn't a place that you could point your finger to on the map, right? It's like, like the church, like this is a local New Testament church. But the church is us. The church is in our hearts. We are the kingdom of God and with believers everywhere. And so it's a spiritual realm. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a physical realm, at least not yet anyway. And so... Um, Romans 14, 17 describes the kingdom of God. 14, 17, B says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So just as he did in the last lesson, the parable of the soils, Jesus uses the images of a farmer sowing seeds, right? Like I said, the, you know, the parables are speaking to the people of the time that were largely uneducated and a lot of them were farmers. And so we see that that's kind of a, a, a consistent theme in some of these parallels because that's something they could relate to. And you talk to farmers about, you know, seeds and soils, they, they understand. And so it's, again, it's an, uh, an earthly story that tells, it, it delivers a heavenly message. So, just as he did in the parable of the soils, Jesus uses the images of a farmer sowing seeds. However, the main point here is not what happens to the seed. It, it is about weeds sown in the midst of good seed. This parable reveals three aspects of blooming where you're planted. And the first one is recognizing the weeds. Right, So uh, he be, Jesus begins this parable, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Jesus explains that he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Son of man was Jesus' favorite term for himself. He, he used it more than 70 times in the gospels. Perhaps the most important is Luke 19. And, it, and I, we wrote it below in the space here for those of you that have the book. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So go back to that, you know, wanting to live in a Christian community, exclusive community. How do we fulfill our responsibility to Christ which is to go out into the world and preach the gospel, right? It's to bring people, to lead people to the Lord. Now, how are we going to do that if we live in a community with nothing but Christians, right? Like, how, how do we fulfill that commission? We can't. We can't. We have to, we have to be among the unsaved in order to fulfill our purpose 
to fulfill what Christ wants us to do, to share the gospel. And, and through word or deed, right, we can share the gospel by, you know, the Romans road, right? The, you know, leading people to the Lord with scripture. We can also share the gospel just by who we are, right? And, and I'm, I look at Tim because I know, we, you know, he comes to the Saturday morning fellowships and I know that he's spoken to this quite a few times and in his work environment, it's a challenge as it is for anybody. And, and you're surrounded by people that are not saved. Tim and all of us, are, we have to bloom where we're planted, which is the first principle here. So he shows up to work every day. He can, if he gets a chance to have an intimate conversation, he could share the truth of the gospel. He could open his Bible and say, hey, I want to show you something. Do you want to, you know, let me try to share this with you. Or he could just share the gospel the love of Christ through his actions, right? The Bible talks about let our conversation be known of man. So that when, when the Bible says our conversation, they're not talking about the words we speak, although that is part of it. But our conversation is how we live. And so that's another way for us to share the gospel with the unsaved. Because those people that are, you know, telling those stories and those off-color jokes and they're looking to cut each other down, they're not encouraging each other. After a time, they will look and they will see us. They will see, in that case, Tim, in that workplace. And they'll notice in their own time and in their own way, hey, you know, he doesn't partake in that. He doesn't laugh when we tell those jokes he doesn't talk that way with us and so they start to see and then a lot of them will start to not do those things around him I know and that was the case I know when I worked you get those and you get people on the other end of the spectrum they could care less they're gonna they're just gonna do it and it's like well you're just a knucklehead whatever you're one of them them Jesus freaks, and so, you know, be who you want, but that's not going to influence me. But see, everybody is different, and some people will respect that, and they'll see that. Because why? Because their hearts are softened by that, by that example of Christ that we are, that we live, that we can present ourselves to people. And then we fail at that sometimes, too. We, we can, you know, we're not perfect either, right? So, um, the more we can stick to that, the stronger our testimony is, the more effective we'll be for Christ. And so bloom where you're planted. If you're, some people are meant to come up here and be preachers. You know, Pastor Adams delivered a wonderful message at 8.15. And that's his calling. That's how he shares the gospel. That's how he is a wheat amongst tares. Because if people come in and they're unsaved, they hear that and that the Holy Spirit works in their heart and they can be led to the Lord. But not everybody is called to do that. Not everybody can do that. I know that better than anybody. I've, I've had the opportunity, or, or really it was more out of necessity, where I had to stand up here and try to deliver a message on a Wednesday night or whatever. And it's difficult. 
it's difficult. I struggled and I, I put in hours studying and then at the end of it delivered at best, if I'm being kind to myself, maybe a mediocre message. And I think about pastors that are faithful every week. Pastor Shah, you know, to come up here for 30 something years, you know, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Sunday school, you know, I struggled to deliver one little mediocre Wednesday night message and I look back and I say, how does he do that? Well, that's because that's where God planted him. God put that in him. God led him to do that. And he, he didn't lead me to do that. I'm not, uh, you know, we say that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so in Pastor Schott's case and in Pastor Adams's case, God has called them to stand up here and to preach the word and to reach people that way. In Tim's case, he's called him to be a testimony at his work. And he's an engineer, so... Um, he has respect in certain areas just because of what he does for a living because people realize that there's a certain level of intelligence needed. So, so he can show up and he has an instant almost credibility, an instant respect. But then there's other people. I spent years as a custodian. And so completely different again. But I'm with a different group of people than he's with. And so I could be that light to those people as well because that's where God planted me that's you know he goes and the Holy Spirit reaches among the world he reached into a group of knucklehead custodians and said you're going to be saved and now show all these people who I am Tim you're an engineer you're going to be saved show these people who I am Pastor Adams, you're safe. Preach the word of God and show these people. And so we all, because everywhere, there's unsaved people everywhere. There's unsaved people in the school system. There's unsaved people in the engineering department at the manufacturing facilities. There's unsaved people that will walk in and sit in a pew in church. And so we all have to do our part to bloom where we're planted. I know Mark, same thing. He walks with his neighbor. He has a neighbor who he walks with every morning. I know he witnesses. Now, that takes a commitment. It takes faithfulness because he might walk with him three mornings and the person doesn't hear him or he hears him and he's respectful, but he doesn't, his heart doesn't hear. You know, here, here's the thing. And we in our society we're narcissistic people by nature anyway, we want results instantly. But you know what? Mark, he might have to walk with that guy for 15 years before he hears. And so he's the wheat among the tares in that area. And all he has to do, he doesn't have to worry about any of that. All he has to do is do what God wants him to do. Get up every day, meet that guy in the street, and witness, and just keep doing it. And it simplifies things, right? Because when's he going to get saved? How's he going to get saved? What am I going to say that's going to lead him to the Lord? That, don't worry about that. That's not your concern. The Holy Spirit will, he'll prompt you. He'll let you know, because as you walk with this guy every morning, you get to know him, you get feedback, 
it, it happens organically and that's how it should happen and that's the only way that it's gonna work. We can't, you know, the old adage, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink, right? We can lead people but they have to wanna be led and, they, and, and in that, you know, he'll see in the beginning, and I don't know this because I don't know that man, but in the beginning, very possibly, he's saying, ah, oh, here we go again, right? But over time, he realizes this is a good person. This is a kind person. This is a person who loves the Lord. Some point it goes off in his brain. Maybe I should listen to what he's saying. And that, that could take time, but that's him blooming where he's planted. And so we all have to do that. That's a responsibility that we have. If we, going back to that Christian community, if we just go and hide, I make the joke, I talk to my wife all the time because, you know, we're going to be shortly going back to Virginia. And I say, you know, I can't wait to get home. I'm going to go out in my garden. And I, I'm, I got plans for all these things I'm doing out there. I could, I'll drive my car over a cliff. I don't care if I ever even leave the yard. I'll be happy just to put my chair there and have my tractor and my shovel and just spend the rest of my life working on the garden. I don't ever care if I even leave the property. But then, okay, well, what, do you, what, do you, what am I going to do? What are you doing? If I do that, what, what good am I to the cause of Christ? What good am I? What's my part in the kingdom of God? Certainly, I will be... I will be in, you know, I will be remiss in my duties if I did that. But if I'm honest, in my flesh, that's attractive, right? I don't have to deal with these knuckleheads in the world. I don't have to go to Walmart and worry about, you know, all the craziness and listen to all the comments. And I can just stay here where everything's good. And the only contact I have is my wife and um, she loves the Lord, and maybe people from church can come over, and we can read our Bibles together, and we can. And it'll be great, right? And it will be great. But what's my effectiveness? What, what am I doing for the Lord? Yes, Mark. Amen. Amen. Yep. Yep. That's good. Yep. Absolutely. That's a good point. And it's and it goes back to the it goes back to just being faithful, right? That's that aspect of it, you're absolutely right. And we don't have to worry about that. All we have to do is show up and do what we gotta do. And the when, where, why, and how is up to the Holy Spirit. But if we are neglectful in doing our part, then we're kinda we're kinda quenching that. You know, we're, we're quenching the Holy Spirit, right? We can do that too because he can say, 
get up and go talk to that guy. He said, ah, not today. It's raining. I'm going to stay home and watch Gilgan's Island. You know, so what are we doing there? We're quenching the Holy, we're, we're, the Holy Spirit wants to work, but we have to do our part, our physical part, in order for that to manifest. So that's good. Thank you, Mark. So in the parable, there are actually two sowers. After the good seed is sown and the owner's workers are asleep, his enemy comes and sows tares among the wheat, and then he leaves. The second sower, the enemy, is the devil. So the field has two sowers and two kinds of seed. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, right? Us. The... the, the good seed represents Christians who are planted right where the Lord wants, right? Just like we talked about. Plants Mark with the walker, you know, with his neighbor. Plants Tim in the engineering department. Plants Pastor Adams behind the pulpit. We are not to live in some monastery or exclusive Christian community as attractive as that sometimes sounds. Who do the wheats, who do the tares represent? But the tares are the children of the wicked one. So the tares, now the tares, you know, anybody that has a garden, right? Because it's true for wheat, but it's true for probably every plant. What grows up all around the veggies and what grows up all around the flowers? The weeds, right? What grows up around all around the wheat? The tares. So the tares or weeds translates a word that means darnel, darnel. Since it closely resembles wheat in the early stages of growth, darnel is almost impossible to distinguish from wheat until fully grown, right? Don't we see that in our churches and Christians, right? When, we, we, we all, when we're all out there and someone that doesn't know us looks upon us, we all look the same, right? But as we grow then it becomes evident who we are. It becomes evident. Are we a wheat or are we a tear? And so um, the, the, you know, the point there is in the early stages, that's not always clear. So just as the Lord plants his seeds where he wants them, so does the wicked one, the devil. The tares are imitation wheat appearing to be good moral people. Satan plants them among kingdom citizens. To, to voice the same question he asked in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said, right? Isn't that how the devil works? He, he doesn't, you know, the, the father of lies, right? But it's the doubt. You know, I have to, this is what the Bible says. I have to do this. This is a commandment of Christ. Is that really what that means? You sure about that? Because let me reason with you a different way and maybe I'll give you a loophole where you really won't have to do that. Right? Don't we all somewhat kind of sort of do that at some times? Maybe not all of us. If I'm honest, I've done that. I've tried to reason myself out of doing things that I knew were right because I said, well, I don't, well, you could read that two ways. No, you can't. Rightly dividing the Word of God. There's t- two ways to interpret Scripture the divine, Holy Spirit inspired way, which is rightly dividing and private interpretation, which is the other 92 million ways you can interpret it. They're all one category, private interpretation. It's, if, you, if we rightly divide the word of God, that's context. That's divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit 
allows us to do that. That's the only way. Any other way in ourselves that we do it is private interpretation. And the Bible warns us about that. No, it's not to be a private interpretation. And so that's what the devil does when he did it in Genesis 3. And he does it all through the Bible and he does it all through our lives. He whispers in our ear, did God really say that? Right? That's a doubt. It puts a doubt. And when we have that doubt, that allows us to manifest our own interpretation and say, well, maybe it doesn't really mean that. No, but you know what? We know. We, we know. And that's why when studying the Bible, the most important thing is context. Right? Don't take things out of context. And the way we do that, and often, and I've been guilty of it too, we'll pick one verse and we'll try to make it say what we want it to say. But, but what we need to do is we need to go back many verses previous and go back many, or go forward many verses hence. And in that whole thing, the context is lifted. Because when you do that, you're not just reading that one verse. You're reading all the verses that lead up to it and all the verses that after it. And you say, oh, see, see where they're going with that? No, this is what it really means. That's the, that's the true Holy Spirit divinely breathed interpretation. And that's important. So um, a little off topic, but not really. So, so some weeds go to church, right, every Sunday. Well, I jumped ahead here. So well, once greater denominations are now asking this age-old question because the tares have been sown in their midst. They ask, did God really say premarital sex is a sin? Did God really say Jesus is the only way to heaven? Right? How many religions tell us? Many, there's many groups, many cultish, you know, well, it's just whatever higher power that you discern it to be. It doesn't have to be Christ. That might work for you guys, but it can be any higher power that I choose to, no, no, the Bible doesn't say that. But that's, that's the devil whispering in their ear. Did, did it really say, did, it, did God really say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, the answer is yes, he did. <laughs> but if we, don't, if we don't discern that for ourselves, if we don't study and take that contextually, then we will drift away. We will believe these, you know, the winds of false doctrine, right? They're doing it everywhere. Churches are doing that. They're, they're teaching that, you know, premarital sex is okay. And Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. Lie, lie, right? So it's, it's all right there. We just have to, we have to know, we have to see. So when the devil whispers in our ear, did God really say that? Our response is emphatically, yes, he did. Yes, he did say that. And here's why, and I know why, and I'll tell you why. And it's because right here, this is what it says. Point to the word of God. The tears have one thing in common. They attack the authority of the word of God, and they try to make it more acceptable to our sinful nature, right? Trying to find that loophole. However, what did Jesus say in John 17, 17b? Thy word is truth. Some weeds go to church every Sunday. The basic difference between the good seed and the weeds is that what each believes about the authority of the Bible. To bloom where you're planted 
it is critical to be able to recognize the weeds, but to also reflect on the harvest. Right? When the weeds are identified, the workers come to the landowner and say, Sir, didst, thou, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? The landowner tells them an enemy sowed them. So, this, so his workers ask if they should pull up the weeds. And he tells them nay, because they might also uproot wheat. The owner then tells them, let both grow together until the harvest, at which time we will instruct the reapers. What will he tell the reapers? Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but go gather the wheat into my barn. So as we grow, we, we are separated from the weeds, the non-believers, right? In our workplace, in our churches, in Walmart, and everywhere we go. And, and in the end, in that maturity comes the separation. Is not the age, I'm sorry, this is not the age of judgment, it's the age of evangelism. That's why the night before he's crucified, Jesus does not ask God to take his followers out of this world. Instead, what does our Lord pray? He says, but that thou shouldst keep them from, keep them from evil. In this parable, Jesus next explains the harvest. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Jesus says he will tell his angels to throw the weeds into the furnace of fire where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The furnace of fire is the place Jesus also called hell. Wailing and gnashing of teeth describes a terrifying scene filled with screaming and excruciating pain. In our politically correct culture, many declare all religions lead to the same place. They say a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell today, and, and that's true, right? God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell. God tells us how to avoid going to hell. But guess what? We have free will. So if we, wanna, if we don't want to listen to that and we want to go our own way, we're free to do that. But we're not free from the consequences. And that's true with all sin, right? We can make our own choices. As a society, America can say, no, it's okay to kill a baby when it's still in the womb. America can say, if, you, if you're a man and you love another man, you, it's okay to get married, right? And it's not only America. Cultures all over say these things, right? But, but, but that's not what the Word of God says. So what's our authority, right? We have to look at that. But, you know, if, we're, if we are politically correct and we espouse those, those lies, we're free to do that. We can, legally in society, I can go out and marry another man. I can do a lot of wicked things. I can support abortion. 
that's free will. I could do that. But guess what? That The consequences of that are going to stay with me forever in this world and in the kingdom of heaven and at judgment day, right? The scars of our sins. I got saved when I was 48 years old, right? I've got physical scars on my body and in my mind and in my heart from my misspent youth. But I was free to do those things. And when I got saved, the guilt was washed away. That sin guilt was washed away. But guess what? Those scars are still there. I can show them to you. (laughs) I have physical scars. I have emotional scars. I have things that have happened that I am responsible for that are in my mind that will always be there. Things that I did as an unsaved person. I am not free from that. I, you know, Christ paid the penalty for the sin. When I trusted him, I was alleviated from that penalty. But I am not alleviated from the consequences and the remembrances and the fallout that I've caused. They'll always be with me. And that's the same thing for any sin, even like I talk about abortion and all this other stuff. We can do that. We have free will. The judgment day is coming. We're going to pay for those things that we do. And so that's important to to remember because, you know, (laughs) right, God doesn't send us to hell, but yet many of us go there. You know, hopefully nobody in this room, but many of us, the collective us, are going there. And God did not send us there. And that's one of those things, the lie of the devil. What did God really say? Well, God, God, God so loved the world. You know, like they'll take something out of context. Right. But there's still free will. Right. He loves us. But no, you're right. God wouldn't send us to hell. But they don't want to see the truth that we do it to ourselves. It's hard to believe. It's hard to wrap our minds around. But if we read, if we study the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God, we see how it happens. We see how it works. We know. And so that's important. So Jesus, who is love incarnate, taught more about a literal burning hell than anyone else in the Bible. Most of what we know about hell comes from the lips of Jesus. The Greek word translated hell is Gaena, hope I'm pronouncing that right, and is found 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of those times the word is uttered by our Lord himself. Jesus came to earth to suffer and die because hell is real. The word saved in the Bible means saved from hell. Right? John 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's a good verse for us to memorize, right? We all have John 3.16 memorized. It was 3.17. That's, that's a good verse for us to memorize. Jesus declared to Nicodemus that God did not send him to earth to condemn the world. Why did Jesus come? But that the world through him might be saved. In contrast to the tares or unbelievers, Jesus says 
Then shall the righteousness shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. When Jesus returns, he will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. When Jesus was transfigured or glorified before his disciples, his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Right? This is beautiful. <laughs> you know, thank you. Whenever we think of this and read this, we should lift our hearts to the Lord and say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for salvation. And we should never lose sight of how awesome that is and what a gift it is. Every day of our lives, we should know that truth. And we should celebrate that truth. Apparently, when we receive our glorious bodies, we will share in the Shekinah glory of God. The word Shekinah is not in the Bible, but occurs frequently in later Jewish writings. It refers to the splendor of God's presence. After returning from the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai for 40 days, Moses is not well received by the Israelites. Why? According to Exodus 34.30, it says, Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Like Moses, in heaven we will radiate the bright glory of God. Imagine that. That's awesome. I think of that, it's like, wow. Right? So to, to bloom where we are planted, to bloom where you are planted, to bloom where I am I'm planted, we need to recognize the weeds. We need to reflect on the harvest and we need to reach out in your field. Jesus concludes this parable as he did in the previous one. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, this parable, this parable has personal application for everyone. The basic application is to bloom where you're planted, right? Tim in the engineering department, Mark walking with his neighbor, Pastor Adams preaching the word of God. And each one of us, where we are, where we wake up every day, where we live every day, we have an opportunity to bloom. And we have an opportunity to serve God. We have an opportunity to stand in the principles of God's word and to show people who we are and to show people what that is and what it means wherever we are. God has sown some good seed in the public school field. Some are students, others are teachers, administrators, support staff. We need a lot of good seeds in the public schools now more than ever, right? Hmm. How true is that? God has planted good seed everywhere in the world. Construction workers, mechanics, secretaries, executives, accountants, factory workers, law enforcement, firefighters, retirees, etc. As long as we live, regardless of occupation or retirement, what statement of Jesus in John 9, 4 must we remember? I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We only have a certain amount of time, right? You know, you know, running out of time and I don't want to go too long, but I think of a story long before I got saved. I worked in the school system. I worked with a guy who was kind of like a mentor to me. He, you know, there were lessons there, best way to say it, like brotherhood of the unsaved, if that makes any sense. Like, it's wicked, everything that goes on, but yet 
stick together in a certain way and do things, and he was that person. And he ended up getting cancer, pancreatic cancer, and he dis they discovered it, and within six weeks, he was passed away. Well, he was already retired, and we'd had a relationship through work, and it's a long story, but it's, you know, he helped me when I was first starting out, and later on, I was in a position where I was able to help him at the end of his career, and so that bonded us. And when I was visiting him in the hospital, he took my hand before I left, and he said, Tim, come back and see me again. I have something I want to give you, something I want to tell you. And I said, okay. And I went home, and I didn't go back. And I, you know, shame on me, because in my mind, I'm going to go, well, tomorrow I got tomorrow I got that thing. Maybe I'll go Thursday. Then Thursday came. Well, maybe I'll go Saturday. Well, it wasn't a week after that he was passed away. And to this day, I always think to myself, what did, what did he want to tell me, right? Guess what? I'm never going to know. And, you know, he had, he wasn't a rich man, but he was frugal, and he worked very hard his whole life. And he had money stashed away everywhere. And he, you know, and I thought, maybe he's going to tell me where a coffee can is, and I'll dig it up, and it'll be a pile of $100 bills in it. But then I started to think, and I said, you know what? Maybe he had something much more important for me. Maybe he was going to share a piece of his heart or a piece of his mind. Maybe he was going to tell me something profound that I can't learn anywhere else because he had done so many times in our, our relationship before. So in, to this day, I'll never know, and I'll always, and it, it's hard to regret's a tough thing, but I'll always think I should have made the time to go back there, but I always just assumed I'll, I'll go tomorrow because he only got diagnosed with cancer four weeks ago. I mean, it's not like he's going to die in three days. Well, it was like eight days, but um, it's the same thing here, right? It says so, so during the day because the, the night's coming. The night's coming when, when we won't be able to anymore, right? We can get out there. We can witness to people at work. We can preach the word of God to people sitting in a pew. We can talk to our neighbors walking on the street. But don't neglect doing it tomorrow, thinking that, well, I'll, I'll, you know, it's raining today. We won't go for the walk. We'll go on Wednesday. But Wednesday may not come for you or for him or for any of us. And so that, you know, I must work the workers, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, um, plant when the time is right, right? The, we're not promised tomorrow. The night cometh where no man work, no man will be able to work. And we don't want to have that regret when we stand before Christ. You know, that day when it was raining, that was the day he was going to receive the word of God. But because you didn't want to go out in the rain, right, or any one of us could say that. I, I'm guilty. Tim could be the same thing, right? Maybe Tim might miss an opportunity to witness at work because it's difficult or time, uh, conditions aren't optimum. That may be the time. Faith, faithfulness, that's what it comes down to for all of us. And I think that's an important message of this parallel. To bloom your planted, recognize the weeds, reflect on the harvest, and reach out in your field. 
each one of us has a different field, but we need to work in it. We need to reach out and staying home and working in my garden for the rest of my life or going to sign up for that Christian community in Missouri, although that seems attractive in my fleshly mind, I know in my heart that that is not what I am to do. And so I, when I get home and it's going to be early spring and the time to work in the garden is going to be the best time, I'm going to have to remember that every day. Go ahead and spend your two hours. But you know what? You, after lunch, you need to get out and you need to go and you need to meet with your neighbors and talk to them. You need to meet with people. You need to be out there among the tares because a wheat growing alone by himself in the perfect garden that has the exact right amount of water and the exact right amount of sunshine, while it may be healthy in a physical nature, it's not serving the purpose of God. It's not working in that field that God has called us to work in. And that's important for all of us. And that concludes the lesson. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. I go to God in prayer one more time before we dismiss. Lord, thank you for everyone here this morning. Lord, thank you for their attentiveness. Lord, thank you for allowing me to look at your word and to, Lord, to try to discern your truths and the meanings in these things. I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that we still today live in a nation where we are able to openly meet and openly preach and talk about you and talk about your word and study these things and learn and grow in you, Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we have that freedom. I thank you, Lord, that you've worked in my heart, that you've saved me, Lord, and that, Lord, that I can do whatever small and significant thing I can to try to honor you and to try to grow your kingdom. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you again for all these people. Pray for the services going forward and for everyone to have safe travels home later and a wonderful day to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.